Good afternoon, everyone. Librarian Danielle Benashi here from the Cote St. Luke Public Library. Today, we have another great program for you. The library is thrilled to have the opportunity to host a live conversation with best-selling author Marissa Stapley. Thank you very much, Marissa, for taking the time to speak with me today from Toronto, as well as to Jillian at Simon & Schuster for making this event possible. And thank you also to Andreas at Paragraph Bookstore for collaborating with us on this event. At the end of the event, I'll give you the details in case you'd like to purchase your own copy of Melissa's latest novel, Lucky Online or in store downtown. Um, so if you miss this, uh, we'll make sure the librarians also have the information and can assist you with this. So to begin with, uh, I'll share a condensed bio. Marissa Stapley is the best-selling author of Mating for Life, Things to Do When It's Raining, The Last Resort, which was shortlisted for the Arthur Ellis Award, and Lucky. Her journalism has appeared in newspapers and magazines across North America. She lives in Toronto with her family. Visit her on her website at marissastapley.com or follow her on Twitter at Marissa Stapley. Stapley, I'm sorry, all in one word. Capital M, capital S. Welcome, Marissa, and thank you very much for joining us uh, this afternoon, and congratulations on such an exciting and at times heartbreaking novel. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Marissa, please tell us uh, how a career in journalism runs in your family with Oh, okay, that's a good question. So my dad, my dad, is uh, still still works for a small town newspaper. All through my childhood, he was a sports reporter, sports and community events reporter at our local newspaper. And so I ended up working at his paper at around the age of 16 as a co-op student. And then I got a call in there um, around the age of 18 after taking over for him for a summer when he went away. And my grandfather, Ray Stapley, was a syndicated columnist for the Toronto Star. He was actually an automotive columnist, which is something I know nothing about. And he wrote a best-selling Canadian book called The Car Owner's Manual. Very juicy reading material about, mm -hmm. um, and apparently one of the best books ever written on owning a car, which I suppose we needed before the internet when... You'd have to look that stuff up in your book. And my grandmother, um, my grandpa Ray's wife and my dad's mom wrote, she was a freelance writer. So she wrote for many Canadian magazines and different publications. So I'm always told I have the writing gene. That's, that's okay. the it's, it runs in the family. <laughs> Good to know. So mm -hmm. would you say perhaps it was written in the stars for you to go down this avenue? Sometimes it felt that way. I mean, it's a lucky thing that I love writing and I always, I mean, I don't think anyone would have said anything except I was always reading. I was always writing, but it did. There was a certain point in my life. I think about halfway through journalism school where I actually took a little break and tried a whole bunch of different things because I thought, well, I've always been heading down this one path, but what if it's not really the path that I want to be on, but it really is. It. I love writing. Um, I'm, 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 you know, it's a, it's a gene, I suppose, that creativity and that interest in writing. There's a lot of hard work and I'm, because I love it, I, I put in the work and, and progress with it. And that's very rewarding. Thank you. 
It appears your interest in writing began at a young age. Um, can you please tell us about your first experiences as a writer and what made you want to continue down this road? So I remember writing a story maybe when I was in grade five or six and being my stepmother was a teacher and she asked me to share it with her grade three class and I read it aloud and I remember everyone was so excited about this story and they thought it was such a good story and that was my first experience with realizing people liked my writing but also that I really liked that feeling when people responded to my writing and it was a good feeling and I suppose you it's so difficult to define yourself as a writer and I I talk to my students because I do teach some writing as well about how you really you're a writer if you're writing and you don't have to worry about being published or any of those little details I mean if you're doing yoga you're a yogi right if you go for a run you're a runner so I really think that was that first moment where I had written a story and I had something to show and I shared it and I became a writer and I never looked back and then started working for the newspaper in high school and it came fairly easily and it felt good. And that's how I knew it was right. No, that's a, that's an important feeling. Mm-hmm. Your books have been said to fall within the category of women's fiction. How do you feel about the misconceptions around this genre? And do you feel it has been progressing or not, or if it continues to progress? Well, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think about it as much as I used to, but I sometimes think that's because I've given up on it. Like I'll, every once in a while I'll look and I noticed Lucky is um, on Amazon. It's called Domestic Fiction. That one really bugs me because I think I got that one back in the Mating for Life days because I was writing about women and then it becomes domestic as in about domestic life because I'm a woman. And I just, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's accurate. But I also think the more I learn about publishing, the more I realize it's about trying to figure out ways to get books into people's hands. So the publisher's hands are somewhat tied in some ways. Mm -hmm. However, I would say that the gendering of, of that really, really should stop. I don't necessarily see hugely progressing but I do see the that this type of writing is getting a lot more respect and if you look at you know the bestseller list it's just it's full of of female authors so there's a hunger for that so I think that the publishers are really respecting that and also accepting that we can women can be respected literary authors as well and we don't always have to be pigeonholed but it is complex and it is something that that bothers me and I I don't like to say I write women's fiction anymore because I don't, I write fiction and I'm a woman and you know, that's, that's not just for women. Lucky is not just for women either. Yes. I, I would say that lucky is a very accessible book. I mm-hmm. think uh, I enjoyed it tremendously. Um, it's a short read and it's a thrilling read, but I wouldn't say you have to be a woman to appreciate this book. I think it's very, accessible for a man or a woman. So congratulations on that. (laughs) That's great. I noticed some of the advanced praise for Lucky by Jennifer Robson, who we hosted not too long ago. Uh, With both of you living in Toronto and having had successful writing careers and contributed to articles together, which I noticed, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, can we make the assumption that you two are friends? We are. We are very dear friends. Jennifer is is probably become over the years one of my closest friends. She lives just around the corner. She is, in addition to being, as we all know, and as you know, having had an event with her and presumably read some of her books, just an, a fabulous writer and the best historical fiction author in our country, if not North America. I think she's incredible. And I know that also knowing her because I see how hard she works and the research she does and how smart she is. So it's so admirable. But the other side of that coin is Jen is a really kind, caring friend and someone who is always there when I need her. And it's been such a gift. And especially, you know, during all the times we've all been going through to have someone like Jen in my life is, it's pretty great. I really, I feel very, very lucky. (laughs) That's great and and good to hear. Mm -hmm. We appreciate women helping out other women and Mm -hmm. being strong together. So I would like to now share a condensed synopsis of the plot for those listening in today. Lucky Armstrong is a tough, talented grifter who has just pulled off a million-dollar heist with her boyfriend, Carrie. She's ready to start a brand new life with a new identity when things go sideways. Lucky finds herself alone for the first time, navigating the world without the help of either her father or her boyfriend, the two figures from whom she's learned the art of the scam. When she discovers that a lottery ticket she bought on a whim is worth millions, her elation is tempered by one big problem. Cashing in the winning ticket means the police will arrest her for her crimes. She'll go to prison with no chance to redeem her fortune. Lucky's about a talented grifter whose past comes back to haunt her and begs the question, what if you had the winning ticket that would change your life forever, but you couldn't cash it in? So Marissa, I've given the audience a glimpse of what to expect. And of course, there's a lot more to this novel that I haven't revealed. Uh, Can you tell us what inspired you to write this story in particular? So I, I was listening to the radio one morning and the uh, radio announcers started talking about a winning lottery ticket with a huge payout that was about to expire. And they were speculating about why someone would be unable to come forward and cash in a lottery ticket. So there's, you know, maybe they didn't even know they bought the ticket. Maybe they lost it. Maybe they died. Sometimes people pass away before they can redeem a ticket and no one knows. And then one of the radio announcers said, or, you know, sometimes people are wanted, like there's a warrant out for their arrest and they can't come forward. They, they need to stay anonymous, but they can't. And I just thought, and writers are always trolling along for ideas. Right. And I just thought, Oh, this is, that's an interesting idea, but I couldn't, I couldn't think I needed a character and I couldn't think of the right character because I didn't want it to be a criminal who had done something terrible. I mean, it's, you could say lucky has, but I, you know, like for some reason we just really can get behind con artists. And when that, I forget, I think there was just a moment. I think my son loves ocean 11, oceans 12, those movies, he's 14. And we were watching those and I thought, Oh gosh, people love watching like con artists and sort of the people stealing from the rich kind of thing. People will yes. get behind that. And as soon as I realized that Lucky just sort of jumped into my head and just it felt quite magical actually. She revealed herself to me and and kind of started telling me her story. 
and I knew it was perfect. I was working on something else at the time. And I texted my agent and said, you know what, I think I'm going to drop everything. Here's my idea. And within minutes, she was like, absolutely. This is you, you must work on this book. So, so that's how it started. I, I was hoping to get into TV writing at the time. So I tried to turn it into a TV show myself first. I tried to start it as a pilot, abandoned that eventually and worked on the book and, and then had some TV interest after that. So I think I was on to something with the TV angle, but I needed to turn it into a book first. That's a great book. Thank you <laughs> for doing that, for pulling through. Uh, the idea of smoke and mirrors and reality being different than what one may think at first glance uh, was present in your last novel, The Last Resort, as well as in Lucky. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, this idea and what fascinates you about it? I really find that when, when I'm reading, it doesn't actually matter what the secret turns out to be in the end sometimes. If the author can do a good job of holding that secret back. I think there, there was a novel by Elizabeth Hay, Late Late Nights on Air, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember what the reveal was, but it didn't matter as much as the journey. I just, so I keep that in mind while also remembering that I do want there to be a big punchy bit of satisfaction. So while the secret doesn't matter, it still needs to be a really good one. And I, I'm quite obsessed with my characters keeping secrets and holding back things from the reader so that you cannot stop turning the pages so that there's never really a good place to stop and you can't stop thinking about it and you want to go to bed at night if you're reading it to to be with the story and you want to sneak away and <laughs> read during the day that's really my goal and I honestly think as people as readers we're pretty compelled by secrets and and smoke and mirrors and things not being what they seem so that's where my interest comes from from a literary perspective great let's talk a little bit about the characters in this book there are a number of strong female characters portrayed here please tell us a little bit more about lucky our protagonist as well as some of the other strong female characters we meet along the way so most of my other novel all of my other novels feature Uh, multiple points of view and multiple characters. So Lucky is my first experience with writing just with one main character. So I really needed her to be strong and tough and resilient and a bit of a lone wolf. And it was a new experience for me to write someone like that who was so strong. I needed her to just take everything that was coming at her and begin to to, um, dictate her own future. Because especially when you're reading books about women, sometimes I find female characters will really be a victim of circumstance or a victim in some way. So although Lucky is a victim of circumstance at the beginning of the novel, it was so important to me that she took the wheel in the end and just drove and saved herself and didn't really rely so heavily on someone else. I mean... You know, she she certainly realizes she's not a lone wolf in the end, um, but that was that was important and it was a new experience. And then I think that the characters who she the the women who are in her life they are all really strong and um, like they're doing what they're doing because they have their reasons. Like they're not being forced by a man or they're not victimized either, right? No, there are no. Um, 
female victims in this novel. They're just like a cast of of tough women who she who she's either you know been raised with um, or meets along the way. And I had it in my head as I was writing the novel that like Thelma and Louise was in my head. So even though it's not similar. I, because then there's really only one, but um, that idea of these these tough characters who you're just going to follow anywhere, and I wanted everyone that Lucky met to to have that toughness and that individuality, and not to be a victim. How do you think your readers will respond to the character of Lucky's dad? He can be charming at times and downright infuriating at others. And is he based on anyone you know or have come across? Oh, so for, to answer the first part of the question, I now I have seen a few responses and I think some people are like, oh, I just hate him. Like <laughs> frustrating. And, and I get that. And, you know, he, he's, he is frustrating. And I think the reality of con artists, as much as we love to watch them and we think shows about them and books about them are fascinating they are not the best people. And a lot of the time when I was doing research on con artists, it, a lot of the research said it's, it's a sociopath who there's someone who does not have the right feelings about that. They should, they're not having the right reaction. So I really didn't want lucky to be characterized that way, but I knew that that's where she needed to come from. So I didn't give, you know, there's some attention to his backstory and all of that does matter, but in, you know, he's, he's a, not a textbook villain, but when you really think about it, there's a lot to be frustrated with him about. Yes. So I'm not surprised when there is some frustration when readers are like, this guy is such a jerk, but I'm also relieved that it's not like, Oh, this guy is such a jerk and like lucky puts up with him or like she can't, you know, she, she's, she's still tough and she's still strong and, and she still has a journey. Um, interestingly, now that I am working on TV development, the, the producers are really interested in the future of John's character and where he can end up going. So I think if the TV show does go ahead, we'll learn more about him. Um, he's not based on anyone I know at all. I The actor that we are pitching to portray him is Tony Goldwyn, though. So I really okay. like that. Um, I like that because I find Tony Goldwyn is like, you look at him and you maybe it's just me, but I kind of like love him. <laughs> like, like you just you want to love him, even if he's not playing the best character. And this is John. It needs to, you know, you want to love him, but he's not the best character. So that's just, that's John. <laughs> so you kind of beat me to it because I was going to say uh, to anyone who reads this novel, uh, you'll immediately see how it could come to life uh, on the screen, uh, whether it's a small screen or a big screen. And you have revealed to us that, yes, um, there will be a TV release. Um, I read that you have sold the rights to ABC Disney Studio. And that Carlton Hughes, Hughes I yeah. think, <laughs> yes, uh, will be involved in the project. Uh, and he was behind Lost. So that's huge. So congratulations. Um, so how are you still going to be implicated in this project beyond um, selling the rights? And like, what, what are the next steps for you and the development of the television produ produ production? 
Yes. So I am uh, connected to the project as a writer. So because when I started to work on Lucky, I was, I had this dream of getting into screenwriting and I had tried different things and I, it was, um, people just kept telling me, well, you need to find a writing partner. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. And I all, the only people I know are writer, like book writers. So I gave up on writing the pilot for Lucky because I didn't have a partner, turned it into a book and then ended up with Carlton Hughes approaching me and his team to, to buy the rights. And also because my agent had mentioned I was interested in screenwriting, we had a conversation about that. It just so happens that Carlton is known to be a mentor of aspiring screenwriters and showrunners. So this is a really lucky break for someone who was trying to get into screenwriting and didn't know what to do. Um, yes, it really, it really felt that way. I was like, okay, of all the people, I mean, it would be amazing enough. It's Carlton Hughes lost everything. But the funny thing is, and I haven't told Carlton this yet, but I'm sure he's not watching. I never watched lost. I'm watching it now. And I can't believe some of the connections to lucky, the lottery, some of the names, like there's some really interesting connections that make me think that luck does exist because I didn't always believe that I have worked hard, but this is a lucky break. And so I've been signed on as a writer. I'm working on the TV development with Carlton himself and his um, VP of development, a really brilliant young woman named Emma Foreman, who just, I mean, I'm sure you'll be hearing of her one day. She's amazing. So we're developing the series and it's complicated. So I can't say when or how, or even if it will absolutely become a show, but we're certainly working hard on getting it there. And I'm, I'm involved so far every step of the way, which has been really exciting. That, that's great. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to hear it because we, we have interviewed authors who would like to take that aspect on and continue as a screenwriter and others who say, no, 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 that's not my domain. I, I would rather someone else uh, handle that. So that's very exciting. And mm-hmm. congratulations on Thank that. You. Um, is there any idea for who might be cast as lucky? Well, there are a few, um, but interestingly, I don't know if I can say, you know what I might <laughs> okay. say, so I'm going to not say, I'm going to have to keep that secret. I'm terrible okay. in real life at keeping secrets, but I won't say for now, but I hope one day I'll send you a message and say, this is, this is who we hoped it would be. Um, but I think I might not be able to say, but okay. I, um, I, I, I'm excited about it. And I think it's right. It's not what I would have expected, but when you start working with TV people, um, they open up a whole different world to you. So it's been exciting, but yeah, sorry to be so case. <laughs> no problem. I was going to say, I hope it's a, it's a, a redhead, but <laughs> that's all we'll say. We won't say any more about that. Um, who would you say has been, uh, your biggest inspiration in your writing career? Sorry, someone's doing something. I hope you can't hear in the background. <laughs> no, I didn't. Really, or something. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Well, I mean, I think when it comes to Lucky, um, it, it, there, I have so many inspirations, but I'm, I was really inspired by my mom who passed away last spring. Uh, the resilience of Lucky's character and creating someone who could be that strong um, really came from 
from my experience with, with my mom who was battling cancer. And it was a tremendously difficult time for both of us, but she was so tough and she really encouraged me to keep writing. And she took such pride and joy in my career. And that was incredibly inspiring to me. So I carry that with me. And, and she also really was like, always had a positive attitude. And I know that it can be really hard in times like this to try to keep our chins up. And I know that people will talk about toxic positivity and not, not pushing too hard in that direction. But I have to say that my mom would always say, your attitude can dictate your day. Your attitude can dictate how you react to a situation. So you don't have to be mad or sad or frustrated you actually can change the channel and and be something else and it's tremendously hard to do that these days but I still do try inspired by her and because I can get myself out of the mire of the way we've all been feeling I can still write and I write a lot and I've been very prolific over the past this past difficult year so our condolences about uh, the loss yeah. of your mother so I'm sure this was very very difficult for you and uh, I read that uh, this book and your next project really were your gift, like her gifts to you, mm-hmm. um, you know, to keep your mind occupied and to keep you um, thinking and not dwelling on, on sickness, but really she wanted you to forge ahead and, and continue your projects. And um, I know that you said she got to read Lucky, which is great. Yeah. Um, I also read that you developed some friendships uh, because of your experience losing your mom and how that whole experience it is very difficult. I've lost a parent also years ago. Um, but tell us about how you met another author and you developed this uh, relationship after losing your mother. Um, after losing my mother. Oh, I'm sorry. Who did I, I, I'm drawing a blank. Who did I meet? Which <laughs> Okay. Is it an author that I met after? Did somebody send you a, you know, a very poignant note and you kind oh, of connected? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's Shelly Wood. Yeah. So we met, sorry, I was confused because we met before. Okay. And then, sorry. Yes. I was like, did I meet someone? I <laughs> so yeah. So Shelly Wood, who wrote the, the Quint- Quintland, her book was called, which is about the Dion Quintuplex and Quintuplets, yes. which is a fascinating historical fiction take on that really crazy moment in Canadian history. Um, so we met a few years ago at an event and she is just, she's a very kind and smart and interesting person. And we kept in touch. So she lost her mom to cancer maybe 10 years ago and or so. And she sent me a letter on a really hard day. And I was sitting here at my desk and I was thinking like, I can't, I just, this is too hard. Like I, I didn't really, I really expected my mom to pull through, even though all signs pointed. Otherwise she was, she was strong and resilient. And my daughter and I would say like, we just thought there'd be a last minute miracle. And so I was dealing with the fact that that didn't happen and thinking, is she gone? Is she with me? I don't know what to do. I just need to know, like, I need to know. And I was like, somebody tell me. And then honestly, I got that ping (laughs) and her email came in and she, the subject line was the grief club. And she said, I'm so sorry that you're a member now of the grief club, but maybe you'll feel better knowing it exists. People lose people and it happens all the time and you're not alone. And also 
your mom is still with you and here's why. And I thought, and she just said these incredible things about how we were lucky to have had moms, the moms we had, even if it was so unfair that they were gone. And I, you know, the timing of that email and, and of course how beautifully written it was, is, is just something I treasure. And it is a reason I just absolutely treasure my author friends, because that's a real gift, having people who can put into words exactly what you need to hear. It was really helpful. (laughs) On that same topic, um, I believe you have a group of writer friends and you have a name for your group. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yes, that's funny. So I was on Sheila Rogers and she asked me about, tell me about the coven. And so it's called, we have a group of writer friends called the coven and we sort of somehow came together just over time. And it's Jennifer Robson and, and myself, Karma Brown, um, Carrie Claire, Elizabeth Renzetti of the globe. Who's just so brilliant. Kate Hilton and Chantel Gertan. And, and we just, we would meet up at events and then we started getting together separately and sort of formed this group. And then I think it was Kate who started calling it coven, the coven. And we kept saying it was a secret group, but somehow it's not a secret. And now (laughs) Sheila asked, and I mean, it's, we miss each other. We can't see each other. We would get together regularly for dinner, but we're always texting and emailing and sharing stories and 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 getting support because publishing is is complicated it's rewarding and we're all successful in different ways but there are really hard moments and it's very difficult to explain it to anyone else um so now that we have each other it's our lives are are so much better And I don't know what I did before I had these women to talk to or ask questions or just complain about something that everyone else would be like, well, what's the problem with that? But, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's like having colleagues at an office. Um, So yeah, it's, that's the coven where long may we run because they're a great group. That sounds like a good support group to have. Um, So for any prospective writers out there listening in today, uh, what are some tips uh, you might offer? So I, one of the most important pieces of advice for an aspiring author, well, first of all, or aspiring writer is what I was saying before about calling yourself a writer, not being afraid to say, I am a writer, just putting aside all of those expectations of yourself or the expectations other people may have of you and just owning it. Like I'm a writer. Like I said, you're doing yoga, you're doing running. Why is being a writer just so difficult to just confidently own. So just try not to be afraid. And the second thing is you have to eventually, there will come a day where you have to stop talking about writing, thinking about writing, (laughs) fantasizing about, you know, what it'll be like to be a published author and you have to get your butt in the seat and do the writing. And it's hard work. And that first moment when you read your own writing is not going to be like the angel singing and you're such a genius, you'll be embarrassed and you'll think this is just terrible. It's not how I imagined it would sound. And that's how all authors feel. Even the most accomplished, successful authors feel that way. So you just have to get past it and do the work because it is creative, but it's also just like any other job. It requires work and commitment and dedication. And do you have a routine? Do you spend a certain amount of of time every day writing or do you have a preferred time of the day? I really do enjoy getting 
Well, enjoy is a strong word. I, I <laughs> get up early, um, not at five. Like I'm not like karma who gets up at five. Um, you know, I'm usually up by about six and I'll get a couple of hours of writing. That's, in that's still early. <laughs> so I prefer that because then it's done. It's like working out. You've got it. You've got a base. You've got it done. And then it will depend on where I am in a deadline. Like maybe that morning is enough and I can work on other stuff like book tour stuff or whatever else is calling my name, doing an event. Um, and I have two kids and of course they're home doing school and all of those things. So if I've gotten the writing done in the morning, then there's no panic that I haven't achieved what I need to achieve to meet my deadlines. Um, but now I'm working on so many different things at one time. So I have the TV stuff and I have... Um, some rom-com stuff that I'm doing and another TV thing and something else. So I now finally, after 10 years, feel like this really is a job and there's no, oh, well, I sometimes write for three hours a day. Like I'll write, I'll sit down and write all day and I'll switch from project to project, but it's about two or three in the afternoon. I can't do any more creative work. I'm not able, and I don't do it at night anymore either. So that was okay. involving too much bourbon, like not up <laughs> 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 early. So the advice is stick to the morning, or at least when you're fresher in your mind uh, to work on your writing. Yeah, but you have to find what works for you too, because everyone is different. Some people are night owls, and that's okay. Um, but wherever you can carve out your time. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go back to Lucky for a minute because uh, there are some techniques that Lucky and uh, other people that are trying to pull scams <laughs> people out there utilize. So how did you go uh, about researching kind of scam artist techniques and uh, ploys and how they do it? My first step is always, I'm not just saying this because this is a library event, but I always go to the library first, go online, put a bunch of holds. Um, and so that is, that is the first step. So I was reading about Bernie Madoff. I read Catch Me If You Can. I read um, a fair number of books about how not to get conned from the nefarious perspective of trying to figure out how people, what, what were the cons? And that was the beginning. And then TV movies, trying to get inspiration there, seeing what they're doing. I love that so much because I'll be like, well, I'm just, you know, watching catch me if you can at one o'clock in the afternoon and that's work today. Um, and it's hard to do during a pandemic when everyone's home, but you know, um, and then I went to the internet and of course, and I wait to go to the internet because there's so much and I know you can find it there, but it becomes a bit of a, a deluge of information. Um, but there's so much out there and it's pretty easy to find all of the scams, the fake Samaritan, the watermelon drop, Thai gem scam. Um, what I can't think of any right now, like card counting, stuff like that. It's mm -hmm. all, it's interesting. I, it made me think about the stuff that we will fall for, not to mention the stuff people will do. So another aspect that was interesting in the book, um, and I just recently saw the, the film um, Nomadland. Uh, so it, it made me think a little bit in some ways of Lucky because she just keeps uh, having to move around as she's growing up. So was that part of your research as well? Sort of how people who grow up in this kind of lifestyle just have to keep moving? 
Yeah. And I'm trying to remember now who there was a character. It may come to me that it wasn't a con artist. But yes, this idea of life on the road. I think my daughter was reading a a YA novel, too, about a little girl who lived in a school bus with her dad and they drove around. And so just um, finding those characters. And you're right, like really figuring out what it would feel like to be constantly transient because it's not something that I experienced. And it's so important to, to put yourself in that character's shoes. Um, But I, one thing that I did do is I don't, I don't drive actually. I'm, I'm a non-driver. So I take a lot of buses and a lot of trains and that's how I get places. So it's kind of um, when I was first writing lucky, always like on a bus or train, like going to see my mom and that I could, that was so helpful. I'd be like, here, I'm on a bus and Lucky was always on a bus. So <laughs> even just that feeling, even if I wasn't going across the country, um, that feeling of movement and of you're not driving the bus, you know what I mean? So you have time to think and look out the window. So all those scenes were Lucky, you know, she's got her book or she's thinking about the people she wants to make amends to and that kind of thing. It's really able to get into yeah so lucky is a complex character you know she's strong but she's also vulnerable um can you tell us um how you went about making her you know a multifaceted character throughout the novel I think I just really wanted and I let me caveat by this by saying I'm okay with unlikable characters. I'm okay. Female characters do not have to be likable. That's just not okay that often they are expected to. But I needed Lucky to be loved by the reader. I And the reason for that is because I needed the reader to want her to win. And I want yes. the reader to feel good about that too. Because I know sometimes you're rooting for a villain and you're like, oh, I just feel kind of, you know, bad about this in the end. But I wanted her, I really wanted it to be very rewarding to want her to win and to potentially see her win and to want to follow her anywhere she went. So I think that's why. I think the only, the the, the best among us, and we all are complex and we contain layers, um, but the most interesting people and lovable people are the ones who are, they can contain multitudes and they're not just Mm -hmm. any one thing. So Lucky on the surface is a criminal and a con artist, but she also, she does have a heart of gold. She does, she feels it, right? She, and that's the difference between her and her, her father who doesn't feel it because, you know, he, something is not quite he's missing something yes not missing anything she she doesn't really want to be what she is but then the really interesting thing about lucky is she also kind of loves it because you know it's kind of like queen's gambit for example how great she is at chess and that's just how can you not love something that you're so good at and what does it mean when it's something that isn't a good thing to be good at depending on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that the reader does get a sense that she does she struggles with being so good at what she was, you know, raised and taught to do even though she knows uh, instinctually that this isn't really the right thing to do mm-hmm. <laughs> and she wants to take another path and the, the few times in the book where she's feeling like she's a bit in a more of a normal life that gets taken away from her very fast and you could tell that that's upsetting. So uh, I like that kind of push and pull of the, of the character and her her moral compass, I would say. 
Yeah. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Yes. And I really, I did work at that. And I think it was important. It's important for her, for her character and for the reading experience of this novel. Another thing, and I won't say too much more about this novel, but one idea that uh, I loved is it's kind of coming full circle uh, in this novel. So having said that, I could see how you may have started your writing at the beginning or at the end. How did you proceed? So I, de- I definitely started at the beginning. I've, I, I, which novel? Things to do when it's raining. I always had that epilogue. I always knew that it was going to end the way it ended and that that would be where everybody was. It kept me going through all the heartache and turmoil. With Lucky, I really, I didn't know. And I knew, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with that ticket. And I actually wrote it a couple different ways. As I went along. So I think it would have been amazing if I had been sure. And interestingly, now in the TV development, we have an endpoint totally different than the book. Like the book is just season one. And then there's like two more seasons that we're thinking about. And the endpoint is blah, blah, blah. I can't say. So that's a really cool way to write. I think eventually I did know and I could start layering it in. But I started from the beginning and I could not figure out how to make Lucky as compelling and lovable as I wanted her to be until the the, the childhood chapters okay. idea came to me. So that I was going along and she was in the present and everything was happening and I kept thinking about her childhood. And then I realized, oh, we're, it's going to have to be dual timeline, which kind of made me mad because I was like, oh, it was going to be so simple with this one character. It was all just going to be easy. And of course, it's really complicated for, for a dual timeline. Um, but the moment I wrote that first chapter with her and her dad, and then also John became increasingly frustrating, but also we can understand him and his effect on her life as well. And then, I, I, oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. I think I think we needed those elements of her childhood because mm-hmm. maybe it would have been easier for you not to include them, but we would not have gotten the same amount of of depth and we wouldn't have felt as much uh, empathy for her uh, yeah. had they not been there. Absolutely. Definitely not. And of course, it's not supposed to be easy, but you every like beginning of every novel, especially as you get further in your career, like maybe this will be the easy one and there are no easy ones. So, um, but, you know, we convince ourselves of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, congratulations on Lucky. It's a fantastic book. Um, I will open it up now to the audience and um, invite anyone who has a question to use the Q&A or the chat um, but before, it'll probably take a minute or two for people to post their, their questions. I will ask you a little bit about your next project uh, with Karma Brown. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we are actually, right, we, are, we wrote a holiday rom-com this time last year, I think is when we sold it, um, called The Holiday Swap. It's just for fun. And we wrote it at the beginning of the lockdown. We had had the idea around Christmas before COVID. We were, she was promoting Recipe for a Perfect Wife and I was writing Lucky. And I was like, oh, if only there were like two of me and like somebody could do this and the other person could do that. And she was like, same here. I just want someone to do this event for me while I do my editing or whatever it was. And then I guess from there, well, what about, you know, have you ever thought about co-authoring? What would that be like? And then I think I don't, it's, we, it was almost a, a lark. Like we were just 
having fun. Like, oh, it could be like just a fun rom-com and it could have baking in it and identical twins. And like, I love Gilmore Girls. So I was like a, like a small town, like stars following, <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? And then eventually we realized this was something we wanted to do. And Carmen and I are very different, but we are equally driven. So I think we, when we set our minds to something we do, so we just rewrote the book. We actually ended up selling two. So now we're halfway through our second one. Oh, okay. Uh, so is it a trilogy? No. So we, so we just sold two. So the holiday swap is standalone. And the second one is called all I want for Christmas. Okay. And it's in Nashville. It's like, na- it's like um, a reality singing competition and, and it's a male and female characters and they're supposed to pretend to be in love. They pretend to be in love to win the competition. <laughs> And really, they hate each other, but of course, uh, and they have to come back together and sing a Christmas song together, and then they can part ways and never have okay. to see each other again. And in the process of writing this Christmas song, when <laughs> something happens, follow up. <laughs> and so that has been really fun for us. We write those under the pseudonym Maggie Knox. It's just fun. It's something that is really keeping us um, from getting too lonely when we're always at home to- alone you know, so, and it's just, and it's really cool to try something different and something that isn't supposed to be taken seriously that we don't care if anybody calls it like, you know, romance or women's fiction or whatever it is, because it's just supposed to be fun. So we just have released the pressure valve on that one. And it's, we sold it to three publishers at auction. So apparently it was a good idea (laughs) well congratulations those two sound great and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the W network but especially the second one you mentioned definitely sounds like one of those yes uh, movies yes that's our and we love that we were like we love Hallmark Christmas movies and W network Christmas movies so that's kind of what we were trying to do and we think people love that kind of yes can't get enough of just some Feel good stories. Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much, Marissa. Uh, Let me just see. I think we have a little bit of a shy audience here because we're not seeing. We covered a lot of ground. I don't think that there's, you asked so many good questions that it would be hard to think of anything else that anybody needed to know. But I'm always, if anybody has anything they think of later, I can be found on, on Twitter or Instagram and happy to answer questions that way too. Thank you so much, Marissa, for taking the time. And uh, maybe we'll invite you back for your uh, rom-com. That would be very fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a nice afternoon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.